0: Hello, how's it going? Thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hammerich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter. So if you know anybody looking to hire or advance their career in ag tech or agribusiness, I would certainly love to talk to them. Send me an email, tim at aggrad.com. And if you don't know anybody and you want to send me an email, I will respond to those too. Uh, And it still is tim at aggrad.com. Anyway, really appreciate you tuning in. As you may know, if you've listened to some of these podcast episodes before, policy, agricultural policy, just really isn't my area of expertise. It's not something that I know much about. It's not something that uh, I tend to explore or read about very often. And so it hasn't been a big focus of the show. However, that doesn't mean it's not extremely important. In fact, almost everything we talk about on the show is enabled because of some policy or a lack of regulation in that field or in that space. So policy really does allow for a lot of innovation to happen. It just isn't something I know enough about to even know what questions to ask. So you don't hear about it very often on the show. That is except for once a year. Uh, You may remember last year, this time of year, it was the American Farm Bureau Federation's County Leader Week. Uh, Last year we had RJ Carney on the show. We talked about rural broadband, among other things. And now it is again County Leader Week for the AFBF this year. Uh, During that week, they celebrate uh, county leaders and their commitment to volunteerism and their own development. Uh, Each day, participants learn about a specific topic selected um, from topics such as volunteer governance, planning, advocacy, policy development, and membership. Uh, So, very pleased to bring back on another expert from. From the American Farm Bureau Federation to talk about something of interest to this show, which is lab-grown meats or cell-based meats. We're going to have on the show Scott Bennett. Scott serves as American Farm Bureau Federation's Director of Congressional Relations. Uh, his issue portfolio is comprised of livestock and related issues, including gypsa, cell-based proteins, gene editing, and mandatory price reporting. Uh, Scott also manages AFBF's efforts on hemp, so we might have to have Scott back on the show to talk about that because I know it's of interest to many of you. Uh, Scott has a bachelor's degree in ag economics from Virginia Tech and resides in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, He serves on the board for the Animal Agriculture Alliance, the Virginia 4-H Foundation, and the Virginia FFA Foundation. Scott's a busy guy. He also comes from a cow-calf operation not far from D.C. and says he goes home most weekends to help out on that operation as well. So very pleased to have Scott on the show to talk about the cell-based meats, what legislation's happening now that may or may not lay the groundwork for the future of that industry, and what what should we be thinking about? Should we be worried about total disruption here of cell-based meats uh, hitting animal agriculture? Or, uh, as I think Scott is going to tell you, uh, do we know American agriculture as we currently know it can compete? Uh, So anyway... Uh, very interesting interview. I learned something about cell-based meats, and also it gave me an insight into how important some of these uh, legislative struggles that are going on right now may impact the future of that industry. So without further ado, here is Scott Bennett. He's gonna start off by just answering the question about their stance uh, on issues in his portfolio.
1: So the the great thing about American Farm Bureau is all of our policy comes, it it starts at the county level and it works its way up through the states. And then it comes to us here in Washington. So especially as we we dive into uh, cell-based protein uh, policy that we have here, you know, that came from our membership out in the countryside that uh, found this to be an issue, whether it be at their county or state Farm Bureau meeting. uh, And they brought that uh, concern here to Washington and we've developed national policy on the gene edited uh, on the gene editing side, um, that too has, has developed through you know, through the grassroots efforts, although our policy on that is, is a little bit different than, than the cell-based protein and the regulatory approach is just slightly different. But um, both entities, we want to see primary uh, regulatory jurisdiction at the Department of Agriculture and not at USDA or, or not at FDA, rather.
0: Hmm. And what's the significance of that?
1: So the significance um, behind us having primary jurisdiction at USDA is just our working relationship. We have a, we have a very strong working relationship at USDA. USDA is on the farm. They understand farmers and ranchers. FDA is not on the farm and we we don't want FDA on the farm. We have enough burdens and regulatory agencies uh, in and around our ranches and and farms on a daily basis. We don't need to add another one to that. So we hope that, uh, and based on the, recent um regulatory um memorandum that fda and usda both put out uh we are in support of it 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 on the cell-based protein side it allows for um the initial stages of the development of this technology to be housed at fda but then the production and the labeling would go to fsis at usda and those are we feel like that is great because um you know, we 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 have a long-standing working relationship with those folks, and we know that people trust the USDA certification on their meat, and and we feel like if this product wants to compete with meat, that it also needs that same uh, it needs that same uh, level of uh, of inspection.
0: It's interesting to have kind of these two issues sort of top of mind at the same time, and the two issues i I mean is like the the gene editing in in animal agriculture and the lab-based or cell-based meats, because it, it would seem to me that the common consumer pushback against gene editing is, you know, it's, it's kind of not natural and sort of the uh, whatever conclusions can be drawn from that. And then, of course, you know, this, th- these alternatives, these cell-based meats, they're, they're anything but natural as well. But for some reason, it seems like maybe consumers are more uh, open to embracing those, I, I can you, can you talk to me about kind of the differences there and how, how Farm Bureau views the differences uh, from a policy perspective between sort of gene-edited livestock and cell-based
1: meats? Sure. It's an it's a extremely interesting and maybe even coincidental time uh, that we have the, the livestock gene editing uh, come about at the same time that cell, the cell-based protein uh, hits, you know hits the regulatory regime. Because they are running parallel to each other, uh, FDA and USDA are both uh, trying to establish where their regulatory authority will fall. Uh, likely, with both entities, FDA will have initial regulatory oversight. You know, with the cell-based protein, it would be uh, with the with the development stages of of that technology, and with the gene edited animal side, it would be you know what is a drug, uh, the CRISPR or Cas9 technology that's used. Uh, that snip of, of DNA that's that would be um, inserted into the into the into the animal to to edit the gene, you know, is that considered a drug? If so, then jurisdiction relies or or lies over with FDA. Uh, but then important uh, the important side to us on both of these issues, and again they run parallel, is when does that jurisdiction, when is that baton handed over to USDA? On the cell-based Protein side, we see that baton is going to be held, uh, handed over uh, when the production uh, of the of the cell based product begins uh, with, with the with the handoff of the baton from FDA to USDA on the gene edited uh, animal side, we see that as when the animal uh, you know if you have a living breathing animal that's chewing its cud under a tree on a hot summer day. FDA does not need to be regulating that, even if it's a, if that animal has had its genes edited. So the progeny of 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 the animals definitely should not be under FDA uh, regulation, and we're working with FDA and USDA both on clarifying exactly how they move forward on the regulatory protocol of of these two technologies. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So I, I would think. Uh, it sounds like the USDA comes at things from a much more pragmatic standpoint uh, than kind of r- regulatory sort of broad strokes. And so uh, it seems like it w- it's an important issue
1: on on who has jurisdiction and where and when. Exactly. No, it, it's going to play a large role. And, you know, when we look at the Farm Bureau policy on a cell-based protein, the the two big things that we're concerned about is labeling. So, you know, what do we call it? and who regulates it Uh, based on the, the uh, memorandum of understanding that came out between FDA and USDA today. uh, We, we feel that we're in a good place that USDA is going to have the jurisdiction over the, uh, the production of it. Uh, But then we get into the labeling. Uh, What is this called? Uh, How do, you know, how do we address that? Uh, That's, that's, that's a, a large part of, of, you know, the fight that farm bureau wants to have in this, in this space. And it's what our members want.
0: Yeah, and when you we talk about the memorandum that came out today, you mean literally today? <laughs> today, you were telling me before we started recording that, that you kind of just got it. Yeah, but um, but could you just maybe give us a um, the the high level overview of of what that, the significance of that memorandum?
1: Tim, I'm holding it right now, and I kid you not, uh, uh, this dropped about an hour ago before we had our call. But I'm glad I still got on the phone with you because it's important that we discuss it. Um, as urgent as it is. So yes, the, the memorandum that came out today between FDA and USDA, really not many surprises in it. It, it uh, follows the same tracks that FDA and USDA put out in a press release in November of 2018. Uh, it goes into a little bit greater detail as far as the role that FDA and, and USDA will have in this. Uh, and again, uh, with FDA having the Primary jurisdiction over cell collection, uh, maintenance of qualified cell banks, um, you know conducting inspections, things like that on the very um, beginning stages of the technology, but then on the production uh, side of things and the labeling side uh, that lands with with usDA uh, one point in this in this press release that I would like to make mention of, and it's it's maybe of concern to us, but again i 've only had an hour with this press release and have not reached out to anyone at the agencies to, to get their explanation of it. But it also says here that it's mutually agreed that the parties, meaning FDA and USDA, will develop joint principles for product labeling and claims to ensure that products are labeled consistently and transparently. Um, we certainly feel that um, these products need to be labeled consistently and transparently. However, we feel that, that should that jurisdiction should lie solely with USDA to make that. To make those claims.
0: Hmm. And, and let's talk more about, about labeling. So, for starters, when we're talking about cell based meats, other terms of herd is kind of lab grown meats, uh, herd plant based meats. Um, are we, all, I mean, are all those terms referring to the same stuff? Or, you know, what what is the proper term there?
1: Sure. So there's a lot of different names for these things. Uh, one, the main, the main thing, regardless of, of what you decide to call it, is to differentiate between lab based protein, which uh, is the Farm Bureau, uh, uh, our Farm Bureau membership passed that that's how we're going to call this. We're going to call it lab based protein. Uh, that and plant based uh, protein. Now, plant based protein is just simply a, a veggie burger, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, however, the lab based protein is a is a um, meat derived product from poultry uh, and meat, and um, it is it is grown in a laboratory setting, and uh, the atmosphere for, for this to develop uh, into a into a lean protein is is established. Now, when it comes to labeling, uh, Farm Bureau just wants wants the labeling to be fair. Um, uh, you know, when when we talk about meat. You know what I'm thinking of is a carcass that swings on the rail at a packing plant, not not necessarily something that's grown in a laboratory. Um, what we see, um, the cell-based protein being is 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 a cell-based food product derived from meat and poultry again. But um, you know, when we when we get into the labeling, uh, we feel that this is um, we feel like that this is a way that um, to establish consumer confidence. Uh, people trust the USDA certified logo on their meat products. We feel like the the inspection uh, of this product needs to be at USDA FSIS, and that the label needs to clearly um, explain exactly what this what this product is.
0: Right. It, it, it's interesting to me too because you'd think uh, lab-grown meat—the whole idea. Uh, is that it's, is that it's not meat, that it's an alternative. And so it's interesting to see sort of the fight to, to the fight for the right to still call it meat. <laughs> when, when in fact, I would think that that's their whole differentiation is that it's not meat. And and I, I mean, I assume that's because it's less of a jump to, for a consumer to make. Uh, but it seems like we're in for quite a battle on that front.
1: Sure. And you know, uh, this is a value added product, um, you know, it's pretty cutting edge. Uh, I don't feel like initially this product is going to compete with the T-bone at Walmart that so many consumers go and buy, um, to feed their families. You know, when we, when people get up in arms about how this is going to disrupt, uh, kind of the production, uh, meat production, um, globally at first, I don't, I don't think that that should be a concern. This is, this is a technology that companies have invested millions and millions of dollars in, and they need to see a return on that dollar. It's going to be served in high-end restaurants. People are going to know exactly what it is. The people that want it are going to be able to buy it. Um, the concern for you know any displacement in the marketplace for traditional meat is when this product, when lab-based protein can be produced at a scale that... Um, competes as a commodity um, initially, it will not be a commodity it 'll be a value added niche product. But when it becomes a commodity, it, it will compete as a commodity and that 's when uh, we could likely see you know somewhat of a of a movement in the marketplace towards this product or or maybe not it 'll all be up to the consumer and, and if this product can actually uh, withstand uh, the consumer demands for it, another really interesting aspect of this is Um, who's, who's ever tasted this product because the answer is you can probably count on one hand, the number of people that have ever eaten this product outside of employees of the, of these startups and firms that, that have developed it. Uh, the first burger, it was a quarter of a million dollar, uh, lab developed burger, uh, was taste tested in 2013. And ever since then, uh, you see video clips online of people tasting this. Those are employees of the companies right mm-hmm. they 're certainly biased towards uh, how this product tastes and 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 how the consumer is going to perceive it. But not a soul in 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 the United States at least has ever had this outside of the people in the in the companies that that develop it so we 've got a long way to go before uh, this is some hysterical. Uh, You know, people eating uh, lab-based protein on a daily basis. We've got a long way to go uh, before we get there. Um, Now, I'm not here to to doubt science, but uh, from Farm Bureau's perspective, we just want a level playing field because we know the farmers and ranchers in the countryside can compete with this so long as we have a level playing field.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's a really important distinction that, you know, when we talk about something like the Impossible Burger, where in most cities you can go buy an Impossible Burger somewhere, uh, that is a plant-based meat. That is not um, that is not what we're talking about here in terms of a cell-based meat, or, or a lab-grown meat maybe is a better way of saying it. Um, Absolutely correct. Okay. And I, I think that's an important distinction because uh, the the idea behind the lab grown is that it still starts with some sort of animal derived input. And it's just gro- grown off of that rather than having um, the idea would be rather than having the whole infrastructure of growing the animal itself and slaughtering
1: the animal. You nailed it. Yep, that's exactly right.
0: I think it's really interesting. And you're right. I mean, when when you make that distinction between plant based and lab grown, I, you know, I don't personally know anybody who's ever tried any lab grown meat. So it would seem especially if we're talking about a quarter of a million dollar burger at this point that that it does seem like a far, far off. Uh, concept. Uh, how far off do you think this is? And I know you're not in the business of fortune telling, but I mean, based on the <laughs> the data you're receiving at Farm Bureau, are we talking about something that's going to reach any sort of adoption
1: anytime soon? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not a scientist, but um, the interesting the interesting thing about this is is one company um, when they first started develop this product. What they claim is to, to somewhat of a scale, uh, they had this, and this would have been in about 2015, 2016, it cost them about $20,000 a pound to develop this product. Well, two or three years later, they're down currently to $2,000 a pound. So you've seen quite a reduction in uh, what it costs to develop this product. You know, the ultimate goal, right, is to, you know, have this to where you can serve it at a restaurant in a burger form that costs $11. Um, now, how far are we until we get there? Uh, I'm not here to say. What I can tell you is that five years ago, I was in Washington working for a consulting firm, and this, this idea and this technology came up, and we laughed, and we thought we were reading some science fiction. Well, here we sit today, and it's, it's a reality. Where will, we be, where will we be in five years from now? Um, I, really, I really don't know. We might be eating this product. Um it's really so hard to say. And the way um technology develops so fast, uh it is it is fascinating to see it happen and and this is certainly one where there's been a lot of time and money invested in it and uh a, there appears to be consumer demand for it, uh, even though again no one has ever eaten this product. Um but if it if it does deliver it will it may be a force to be reckoned with. But again, we just we just fight that um is that the government doesn't favor one production form or the other and that it has a level playing field to compete with our traditional uh, meat production systems.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that, I think that's uh, an important point to emphasize. And I know you've said it a couple of times here, which is you believe that, that your producer members, uh, Farm Bureau members, if given the right to compete on a level playing field, will be able to still be competitive despite the rise of lab-grown meat.
1: Oh, absolutely. I have no doubt in it, uh, especially here in the United States. I mean, we're the most efficient um, agricultural, you know, developed country in the world. I mean, we export. Uh, we're the breadbasket of the world, right? I mean, it's because we've got this thing figured out. Uh, we have the best farmers and ranchers and and people in land-grant universities doing research to support them through extension uh, and and again, our farm bureaus on the county and state level that, spri- that provide support for these farmers and ranchers. I mean, it is a well-oiled machine. Uh, and I would put uh, American farmers and ranchers up against any venture capitalists out of Silicon Valley uh, as far as efficiency and, uh, you know, environmental um, environmental sustainability. I'd put, I'd put production agriculture in America up against anyone uh, because it is an efficient, uh, effective uh, tool that we have. And, you know, these people thrive uh, making, making food for the world that's very efficient.
0: I imagine you have some members some Farm Bureau members that would say uh well you know this lab this lab grown meat thing it's it's anti farmer it's anti rancher Farm Bureau needs to do everything they possibly can to get rid of it and make sure it doesn't happen um maybe I'm assuming too much there do you get that and and I guess what what would be your perspective on that
1: No our membership rather than uh, fighting it again this is a force to be reckoned with it it's it's here um, five years ago, it was science fiction, but here we are faced with it today. It is a reality. And I think our membership has become, has come to realize that, that instead of trying to fight it, uh, per se, uh, the better strategy that, that we have found, and again, this is all coming from input from our members, uh, is that instead of, instead of fighting the technology, we just need to make sure USDA understands and FDA understands that this has to be regulated in a way that's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, we'll compete with anyone. We just want it to be fair. Um, and we see that through USDA having primary jurisdiction over uh, the production of this. Because you have to understand, FSIS, a, pa- a meatpacking plant uh, in Nebraska has to have an FSIS inspector on site 24-7 in order for it to run. It is under constant surveillance by a government agency for food safety. FDA they do not have that if you're not produ- if you're if you have a, a a plant that's making a food product that's not meat then FDA only inspects that facility on a risk uh, based assessment uh, which you know I don't know how often that is but it's certainly not um, all hours of the plant running so if we feel like the risks involved with the plant-based protein merit a FSIS inspector on site at all times. Therefore, the production of this technology needs to be regulated at USDA. Um, And, you know, again, on the labeling side, um, we feel like, uh, again, we just want fairness. We're willing to compete, uh, but let's call this what it is. Uh, It's a a cell-based product derived from meat and poultry. Uh, It's not meat and poultry. It's It's a technology that's derived from it. So, Uh, We just want to make sure that that's articulated in a way that that allows our producers to compete.
0: Um, What what are some kind of key messages you wish more lawmakers kept in mind as they were sort of navigating these issues?
1: Well, the biggest thing that we're trying to address with lawmakers is just simply educating them on this. Um, There's a lot of articles and, you know, it looks really sexy online when you look at this and it's cutting edge and We're just trying to educate uh, lawmakers on exactly what this is. You know, the fact that no one in in at least the United States has ever tasted this product. I mean, for all of the articles written about it, for all of the hype, uh, if you aren't employed in one of the companies that manufactures this or you're a select chef or uh, food critic, you've never you've never eaten this stuff. So, you know, we're just trying to tell that story to lawmakers and have them understand that, you know, we're we're not anti-cell-based protein, but we are most definitely and feverishly for a fair regulatory scheme on how that product is regulated. Um, we feel like the marketplace will decide um, exactly what consumers want, and we stand on firm ground and know that they will choose uh, the food products and meat products that our farmers and ranchers across the United States produce. It seems
0: to me like uh, the the hill can can sort of be a, a microcosm for spreading agricultural messages in general. And what I mean by that is, you know, if, if you want to, like you said, educate them on, on uh, what a fair playing field might look like, you probably start with sort of rallying some, some allies and then really focus on the movable middle. I, I, I imagine, and maybe this isn't true, there are just some so uh, f- so far uh, on the other side of the spectrum, whatever that might be, That that maybe it's not the best use of time to focus on trying to change their minds.
1: Is that true? You know, yeah, we've got polar opposites, um, for better or worse, on every issue. And to, to just be very clear, right now our focus is is in the executive branch at USDA and FDA on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Capitol Hill is aware of, uh, you know, of what's going on at USDA and FDA, and most certainly those legislators can weigh in uh, on to how they, how they perceive their, uh, that USDA and FDA is their, how they're doing their job. Uh, that's where our main focus is. But on the Hill, yes, we have our allies, um, and we certainly have people that we know aren't going to support us. Uh, but we stand firm on our opinion of, of, and, and the policy that we have at American Farm Bureau. And I remind you of this, you know, it, it, it's 400, if 435 members of Congress vote yes on a bill, it passes. But guess what? If 218 vote yes and 217 vote no, it passes. So we, we know where our allies are. We want to rally those allies, and we want to hold them very close and have as many arrows in the quiver for us to shoot if we need to, but um, we're not, we understand we're not going to please everyone, but uh, you know, we, we feel like we stand on a solid foundation of our policy. And, and again, I'll have to use your podcast as an opportunity to tell your listeners that getting involved with your county Farm Bureau at a grassroots level is eminently important to me doing my job here in Washington. I'm, I'm standing here. I can see the Capitol from my office building. But if it weren't for the people out in the countryside that felt the need to call their legislator and tell them about how they feel and how uh, their county Farm Bureau or even American Farm Bureau feels about these issues... Um, if it weren't for that, I couldn't go in and have them trust me in develop and developing and trying to move any policy. And put cell-based protein aside, that goes for absolutely anything that we're working on, from taxes to uh, electronic logging devices and trucking to uh, any issue that things might concern, WOTUS, the EPA. Um, when we get our folks on the ground level involved, we really are able to move and shake on the hill, and I would encourage your listeners to get involved with American Farm Bureau, get involved with your county farm bureau, uh, join and have your opinion be heard because it really does make a difference.
0: Now, I mean, with with things like you know some trade issues and Green New Deal and uh, you know environmental type regulation, um, I I could see why some producers you know are are not always as optimistic as they could be. You know, what do you tell, what do you tell people who express concerns over the future of anim, animal, agriculture specifically about kind of what keeps you optimistic?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, our farm economy is, is not in a necessarily good shape uh, right now. And I'm very aware of that. Uh, that's why I, I fight every day to keep the government out of their business, uh, because that can only make things worse in my opinion. Um, so you know we're, we we work. Um, I work daily to try and, and have the government operate in a way that supports American agriculture and not one that uh, that tries to, to stifle it. Uh, but as far as the future of animal agriculture, it's bright. Um, I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist. My glass is always half full. Um, we are we have so much technology in front of us in animal agriculture. We are becoming so efficient. Um, you know, it's is it going to be is animal agriculture going to be the way our grandfathers' animal agriculture was? No, it's not. But um, you know, tradition, uh, for as as novel as it is, it's one that we probably need to snap out of because this world is a changing place. Uh, we need to become keen and fight for for what we what we believe in and what we stand on. And um, I believe animal agriculture has a bright future. We have we have some really big fights to fight. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure on us to get out of the business from an animal welfare perspective, uh, from an antibiotics perspective, from, uh, you know, you name it, an environmental perspective. But we have a, we're, we're doing the right things. Uh, we just need to construct our narrative maybe in a, in a better way. And uh, that's what I do every day is try to construct a better narrative to tell our policymakers and our folks Uh, at the White House or in any of the executive agencies, uh, you know, that what we're doing is, is only bettering our world. It's certainly not hurting it.
0: Well, as you said, you are an optimist, and so I don't want to turn. I don't want tur- to turn this into more of a pessim- pessimistic tone. But I am curious, uh, as we as we finish up here, you know, if you could just pick one issue that you think is is, and it could be one of the ones you just mentioned, that is is the biggest threat to, to animal agriculture as we know it, and that was the only issue, you know, you were allowed to. Uh, To to work with in your career, what would you pick as as the one that that you think we need to be pushing back the hardest on, or maybe it's the one that we're not talking about enough?
1: So again, I I only cover the livestock uh, portfolio here um, for Farm Bureau, so I'm not necessarily involved on a day to day basis with international trade, but it would it would be international trade hands down. Um, We work feverishly here to open uh, markets and work with the administration and, and the Hill to open, uh, open global markets for American agriculture. Uh, we are the breadbasket of the world. We're net exporter of ag products. Uh, we have, believe it or not, just totally untapped uh, regions of the world uh, that we could be exporting to that desperately need our products so that their uh, nutrition levels increase, things like that. Uh, but international trade is by far and away, in my opinion, my personal opinion, uh, the most critical one uh, for the future of, of American agriculture. We consume all the meat we possibly can here. We we have full stomachs. Uh, there are portions of the world that don't. And if they're willing to buy our products, we need to be able to get them there. And so the constant battle of of renegotiating trade deals and opening uh, new opportunities for us to export our ag products. Uh, that is by far and away the largest uh, issue uh, that American agriculture faces, in my opinion.
0: Well, Scott, I, I really appreciate you being on the show. It's it's nice. It's I think. We only did one episode last year that was sort of policy related and it was the same, you know, Farm Bureau week. So it's always nice to kind of get an, an annual report of what's going on uh, in Washington. But I want to give you the chance to have the last word. Anything that I didn't give you a chance to talk about that you think is important uh, to our listeners of sort of entrepreneurial and intellectually curious uh, agriculturalists?
1: No, I just would encourage everyone to uh, not necessarily shy away from what happens in Washington, but rather, you know, put your shoulder into it and get engaged. Uh, You can make a difference uh, regardless of what the issue is, be it an agricultural one or not. Uh, You know, let your voice be heard because believe it or not, people up here do listen.
0: Thank you so much to Scott and the American Farm Bureau Federation for sharing their knowledge on the show and giving us an insight to what's going on into Washington. Uh, If you would like to see or hear, I should say, more policy-related episodes on the show, let me know. I'd also just love to hear your opinion on cell-based meats and how much this is going to be a part of the future of agriculture. You can do all of that by sending me a tweet at tim hammerich thank you so much for your time your attention your interest in making the world a better place through ag innovation we'll be back next week and i hope you'll join us